That's all I've got. That's it. So we are continuing a series today called Ask Anything, and here's the plan today. We are at question number eight today. So everyone turn this direction. I don't want to see any backs of heads or your backs. Just turn around this way. The rest of the time, just focus. And we'll have some discussion here in the main room. We'll also have some discussion in breakouts after um, here in a little bit. But I, I would imagine that every single uh, person in the room at some point has had doubts about your faith. So the, question, the big question today is, um, how should a Christian deal with doubt? How do you handle doubt in your life as a Christian? And so every Christian, I think, has doubts. Um, let's just admit this for a moment. Let's just admit, I, I mean, you guys are teenagers. Teenagers are by nature cynical, skeptical people, right? Just nod your heads with me. Yeah, it's true. Um, you question authority. You question everything. It, it's just, it's like when you're, when you're a teenager, you are wired to question everything. That just comes with the territory of being at the age that you're at right now. So let's be honest. Um, some of what Christians believe, especially at your age, might seem like a fairy tale, right? Most of what, many, much of what Christians believe might seem like a fairy tale to you. So let's just break this down for a moment. Many of you guys came to know Christ or came to believe in Christ at a fairly early age. At the same time of your life that you started to believe in Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, and the Easter Bunny, right? Right? So around the same time of your life is when those things kind of came to um, be a part of your imagination. And your parents also talked to you about Jesus, hopefully. Now, um, everyone had that that mean kid at school, right, who um, burst your bubble about Santa Claus, right? Um, how many of you guys were that mean kid to everyone else, right? Raise your hand. All right. So everyone can attest to this. Everyone's, everyone's had that mean kid at school when you're like a little kid, um, burst your bubble about, you know, Santa Claus not being real, and... Uh, and, and that same kid is also the kid that would tell you things like, you know, the Tooth Fairy is really your parents, the Easter Bunny, somebody killed him, you know. So there's always that mean kid, right? And some of you guys were that, that mean kid. And so at some point you realize those things are myths, those things aren't true. But at some point in your teenage years, you start to question and wonder, well, what about this Jesus? What about this thing called Christianity? How... I mean, this seems kind of mythical, like those things seem to be. How do I know I could put my faith and trust in, in, in those truths, in what the Bible is saying? So, um, I mean, let's just admit, most of us have those moments where we just sit there and go, I mean, all this just sounds kind of crazy, right? We really can't believe that we actually believe some of this stuff for some of us. Now, let me give you an example of this. Um, I, fl- I fly about three times a year, and that's about it, in an airplane. So um, whenever I go to an airport, how many of you guys get really nervous when you fly? Raise your hand. Like you get really nervous, kind of freaked out. Um, everyone else, you're okay with it, I guess. So um, now for me, listen, listen, I don't lose sleep the night before. I don't get nervous at the airport, like when I first get there. But let me tell you where it, it kind of gets me for a few seconds. Um, when I'm sitting at the gate looking out the window at this massive airplane, and I think to myself, 
in a couple of hours, this plane is going to be 36,000 feet in the air, right? And it just kind of freaks you out a little bit, right? Then you kind of forget about that. Then you walk down that long, ominous walkway onto the plane, right? And you get onto the plane, and you're actually touching the outside of the plane like you're like knocking on it to make sure it's solid. And you realize this thing's made out of aluminum. That doesn't seem very solid to me. Then you go find your seat. And for the most part, you're okay. But the moment it always gets me is when we're like barreling down the runway. And, and it starts to get that, that shaking feeling. And you're, you're, you're pushed back against your seat. And for a split second, I had this thought like, are we all just insanely crazy? We're, we're about to fly. We're, we're about to fly in the air six miles above the earth in an aluminum can, right? And you realize, man, this, is not, this does not make any sense. Are we crazy? Have we lost our minds? This seems pretty insane. And so in those moments, I start to doubt just a little bit. But I think the same is true of our faith. I think for many of us, you have these little, these little moments and they might be small moments, but they still exist, where you think to yourself, do I really believe this? Do I really, am I putting my faith and my trust in a God named Jesus? Do I, this seems kind of insane. This seems kind of, kind of crazy. And so I think we all have, uh, have those moments. I mean, for you, what are the things that you find most unbelievable about Christianity? Is it the creation story? Is it the story of the flood? Is it the, um, the Ark of the Covenant? Is it uh, Moses seeing a burning bush and having God speak to him through that? Is it the resurrection of Jesus? What are the things that you think of that you find most unbelievable about Christianity? What are those things to you? What are those things to you? I have seen many students turn their back on God and walk away from their faith as a result of their doubt as a result of them thinking, hey, I can't, I can't believe this stuff. I mean, this stuff seems too crazy, too insane. I want to have some respect for my friends. I, I can't put my faith and my trust um, in these things. So today what I want to do is I want to show you, first of all, what doubt is not. What it's not, then what doubt actually is. So uh, go to my next, um, actually stay here for this slide. Actually go to the what it isn't slide. That should be the first one that you see there. So the first thing that doubt is not is this. It's not skepticism. It's not just deciding to question everything. Everyone, do you guys have friends that they're the skeptic of your friendship group? Like they're just the ones that question everything, right? They're that, they're that person. Um, whatever someone says, they're not going to trust it. This is the person that decides to be a skeptic intentionally. So it's not just straight up skepticism, but it's also not unbelief. It's not the decision to not have faith in God. So we're going to draw a distinction here between um, what doubt is and what it is not. So go to my next slide here. Here's what doubt is, how we're defining it today. It's asking questions or voicing uncertainties from the standpoint of faith. So we're focusing today on how Christians deal with doubt. We'll get into a little bit how um, doubt can keep unbelievers from believing, but we're also going to look mainly today at just how, um, how Christians can deal with doubt. So even though many of you, if you guys in the room are Christians, you still have questions about your faith. I know this to be true. 
And so I want to look at uh, two types of doubt uh, for us today. Um, the first one I want to look at is what I call intellectual uh, doubt. And this is affecting what we think. Now listen, this is the kind of things like, you know, how can... Um, uh, how did God really create the world in six days? Like how these like intellectual type questions, like how do we wrestle and answer these kinds of scientific questions? This is intellectual doubt. The second kind of, uh, of doubt we want to look at is personal doubt. This is what we feel. So intellectual doubt is like what we think. Personal doubt is what we feel. So in other words, in our culture, it's cool to question everything, right? If you watch TV for any length of time, if you watch these programs that are about, um, can we really believe and trust in what the Bible says? They're raising intellectual questions about the Christian faith. And it's true that whenever they bring these scientific guys on television, especially the guys with the British accents, they always sound really, really smart, do they not? You're like, that guy, he just, there's something about that guy. He's not a Christian. He's an atheist. He just sounds really intelligent. He's surrounded by books. And I just have to question if what he's saying is is really true and so the skeptic is always going to seem smarter than the unbeliever that's just what's going to that's the way it's going to appear at least on the surface so you have intellectual doubt what we think but personal doubt what we feel what i mean by that is you know someone suffers someone um the parents get divorced and they start to question things and there's, there's personal ways in which it can affect our feelings and our emotions, and we start to doubt as a result of that. And it's true that these two things can often play along with each other, where what you feel begins to affect what you think, right? It's very often that what you feel, if you have felt personally offended by God in some way, that what you feel starts to affect what you think. And so what happens is something bad happens to you, and then someone down the road says to you, yeah, um, I've got some intellectual questions about God. And you start to cave into those things because you've had the, fe- the feelings of kind of set you up to fall for the intellectual doubt. And these, these two things can play together. So I want to show you uh, three quick passages um, where we see doubt in the Bible. And the first one is in Matthew chapter 27, verse I'm sorry, chapter 28, verse 17. Go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles with you. Matthew 28, 17. And the first kind of doubt we're going to look at is what I call hesitation or just to hold back. And in Matthew 28, 17, if you guys could just stop talking and eating Nutella in large quantities for just a few moments, that would be helpful mainly because it's distracting to me, and I'm getting really hungry for Nutella. That's the main reason. But uh, if you could help me out with that, that'd be awesome. Um, you're causing me to stumble with that. Uh, so Matthew 28, verse 17, and it says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They're referring to Jesus here, of course, and they're referring to these large crowds of people that when they saw Christ after the resurrection, they saw him, some worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, if you can imagine this, after Christ resurrects, everyone saw him die on the cross. When he resurrects, he appears to, at some point, he appeared to 500 people, if not more than that. So he appears to a crowd, but some people could not believe their eyes. They couldn't believe what they were seeing with their own eyes. 
They knew it was Jesus, but they could not believe this was really, is this really the resurrected Christ? Is it really him? And so one thing you see today is many people say things like, if, if God would just show me more evidence, more of himself, more evidence that he's real, then I'll believe in him. I'll put my faith in him if he would just appear and show up. The only problem with that is the Bible. The Bible says otherwise, that people did see him, people did see the resurrected Christ, but many still doubted if it was him or not. Because I think that man, mankind has not just a, a mind problem, but a heart problem. And they don't allow themselves to believe even what their eyes are seeing. And so evidence is not always the problem. Sometimes people just won't let themselves believe. So this is, these people are holding back. They're hesitating. If it's really him or not, they're, they're holding back belief. The second uh, kind of doubt that we see in the Bible is, is what I call uh, being in two minds, double-minded. So this picture uh, we see in James chapter 1, verses uh, 5 and 6. Go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles with you. James chapter 1, verses uh, five, to six, 5 and 6. And a little bit of background. James is, uh, the, the, one, the James writing this is the brother of Jesus. And the really cool part about James is that he didn't come to believe that his own brother was the Messiah until after the resurrection. So imagine this. Christ lived to be how old? 33, right? And so... For his entire life, James did not believe his own earthly brother was the Messiah. Can you imagine that family tension, right? I mean, Jesus is the Messiah, and his own flesh and blood brother does not believe he's the Messiah until something major happens, and it was the resurrection. To me, it's one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection because why else would James believe? If he spent his entire life not believing then he had to see something pretty dramatic that made him believe. And I think that thing was the resurrection of his own brother, Jesus. Then he wrote the book of James as evidence of his faith. Look at James chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So this verse is, this passage is talking about asking for wisdom. And what he's saying is that when you ask, when you ask God for something, do you ever doubt his ability to give it? When you ask God for something, like in this situation, wisdom, do you ever doubt his ability as God? to give the thing that you're asking for. And he says, if, if that's you, then you're not going to receive in faith the thing you're asking for because you've not asked in faith. You're, you're doubting God's ability to give what you've asked for. In fact, the word double-minded in the Greek comes from the word disukos, which if you see it spelled out, it's, it's D-I and the word psychos. All right? You see that? And so we get what word from that? We get the word psycho, which means double-minded. Um, this is like spiritual schizophrenia. This is a person who vacillates between 
one thing and the other, believing one way and then believing another way. This, is, this person is like a, a ship with no anchor. In fact, James even uses that picture. He says this person is like a wave who's just kind of tossed about by the wind. And the picture I get is a ship sitting on the ocean with no anchor and just moving mindlessly throughout the choppy waters. And I think this picture is how I would describe many, many, many high school students. I don't mean that in an offensive way. It's just, it's what I see. It's what I see. I would describe many of you with your faith as like a ship with no anchor where you're just sort of tossed around by opinions, things you hear about, ideas. There's no anchor rooting you to Christ. There's no anchor that says, no, this is what I believe. And when the storms come, I'm going to stay anchored. For many of you, it's, it's just, yeah, if the wind's blowing this way, I'm going to go this way. If the wind's blowing that way, I'm going to go this way. And you're being tossed around in the way that uh, James describes here. And the third kind of doubt that um, we see in Scripture is doubt as a state of mind. And we see this in John chapter 20, verse 27. Who's the most famous doubter in the Bible? Thomas, right? He's known as Doubting Thomas, one of the 12 disciples. And this is when Jesus appeared to um, the disciples and especially to Thomas. And Thomas is, is looking at Jesus, and he still doesn't b- quite believe yet. And Jesus says in verse 27 of chapter uh, 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 20, John 20, verse 27, it says, Then he, meaning Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And what I find amazing about this passage is this. Here Jesus is, in his own flesh and blood, standing in front of Thomas. And he's going as far as, hey, Thomas, if you do not believe, put your hands in my wounds so I can prove to you that I am resurrected. I mean, it'd be easy for Christ just to say, okay, Thomas, everyone else here believes. What's your problem? I mean, everyone else is fine with just seeing me. But what's your issue? Why do you not believe? I mean, he could have called him out on it. But what he does is in his grace, he says, no, okay, if you want more proof, more evidence, okay, come, come, come close. Touch, put your finger where the spear went. Put your finger where the nails went. I want to show you that I'm real. I want to show you that I'm truly resurrected. And what it shows me, look at me, look at me. What it shows me, this passage, what it shows me is that if you're someone who doubts, if you're someone who struggles with that, you can take comfort knowing that Jesus picked as one of his 12 someone who had serious doubts. That's how gracious he is. He picked someone like Thomas who had serious doubts to be one of the, one of the 12 disciples. In fact, I would say that maybe Jesus did that so that if you're sitting here today, you can look back on the story and say, that's, that's kind of like me. Thomas is kind of like me. I need more proof. I need more evidence. And Jesus is saying, okay, here you go. I, I'll give you all the evidence I can. But at some point, you're going to have to make a heart decision to believe and put your faith and trust in Jesus. At some point, you've got to make that decision. 
And so what Thomas struggled with was doubt as a state of mind, but it shows me that the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ still wants to reach out to even that person, right? And I think he gave us Thomas, the story of Thomas, he put him in the 12 disciples because he wanted you sitting here today to look at that testimony and say, I can believe. I can put my faith and trust in a God who would extend himself even to a doubter like Thomas. I can put my faith and trust in, in that God. And so I think one of the greatest evidences for Christianity today is that we see all throughout Scripture that doubters became believers. People who had no reason to turn around and, and, and put their faith and trust in Christ, they, came, they became believers. Look at Christ's own brother James. Look at Paul. Look at, uh, look at Peter. Look at Thomas. These men doubted throughout their lives, questioned, didn't believe, and something dramatically changed them and transformed them, and it was the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so the encouragement here that Jesus is saying to Thomas is, stop living in doubt and start living in belief. So you have a few questions at your tables. Just for uh, Do questions one through four at your tables. You guys should have a discussion sheet. Um, if you don't have one of those, then raise your hand, and I'll have someone come bring you one. But do questions one to four, and we'll reconvene here in a few moments. Go ahead and discuss one to four. Okay, for the sake of time, what we're going to do is I'm going to keep you guys in here for your last part of your discussion at the very end instead of going to breakouts just to uh, save time today. We've got to start a little bit late, which is my fault, so I apologize. But we'll, uh, we'll talk for a little bit longer, then we'll have you guys do some more discussion here at the very end. So the, the main thing I want to say to you this morning, though, is that doubt is not always the same thing as unbelief. So I'm going to use several quotes from a guy named Oz Guinness. He's a real old dude with a name like Oz, right? You think of the Wizard of Oz, I know, but um, he's a really good writer, and he, he says this about doubt. He says, doubt is not the same as unbelief. You have faith in Christ, which is sure of Christ, and you have unbelief, sadly, which is not sure of Christ, and doubt is like a halfway house between the two. And so if you think of doubt, put my next slide up there. I've got a little, uh, just a quick little diagram for you here of just unbelief on the left, doubt in the middle, belief on the right. If you think of it like this, there are some people that they're, they don't believe Jesus Christ is a Messiah. We call them unbelievers, right? And it's, it's doubt that's standing in their way from moving over to belief. Like they're, they are not letting their doubts, or they are letting their doubts keep them from belief in Christ. But it's also true that even those that are on the belief side of the equation, even those that have put their faith and trust in Christ, that even those that believe can still struggle, sometimes immensely, with doubt and questioning. And so it's not that you're not believing, it's just that you're kind of inching over into certain areas of your life. You're inching over into doubt and questioning. And so it's very possible in fact, I would say that any Christian who says they've never doubt, they're just a liar, right? They're just lying. They're not being honest. What is that? Is that you over here, Gabe? Yeah. Uh, okay, good, good. Uh, we're telepathic over here. So, um, so here's what I want to um, show you about this. There, there are believers who have doubts but can still believe in the midst of those doubts. 
But there are some unbelievers who allow their doubts to keep them from belief. Go to my next slide for the next quote from our friend Oz, the wizard. For the Christian, for the Christian, doubt is not the same as unbelief. Actually, we already, okay, here we go. For the Christian, doubt is not the same as unbelief, but neither is it divorced from it. Listen, continued doubt can be the prelude to the disasters of unbelief. So doubt is never treated as trivial. He's not saying doubt's never a big deal. He's not saying doubt is just not a big deal, just don't worry about it. He's saying it, it can be a big deal if you allow it to become that. And so at times it can be a big deal because sometimes doubt can lead to unbelief. Now, I'm not saying at all today that you can lose your salvation. Don't hear me wrong today. That'll be a question we discuss in a couple weeks. But I'm not saying you can lose your salvation, but I am saying that someone might come to a place of where they've intellectually believed that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. They've not put their faith and trust in him yet for salvation, but they might come to that conclusion intellectually, but then back away from that later on in life. They haven't lost their salvation, or they, have, they weren't saved to begin with, if, they, if that's where they're at. But I'm not saying you can lose your salvation, but what I am saying is that sometimes doubt, if left untended, can cause someone to reject Jesus as God. And so the big question is, when you have doubts, what are you going to do? What will you do with the doubts that you inevitably will have? The next quote from this guy says this, If faith does not resolve doubt, doubt will dissolve faith. If faith does not bring about some kind of resolution to the doubts that you have, then at some point, your doubt's going to dissolve your faith. If it's left untended, at some point it's going to happen if you don't ever address it. At some point, that will happen. And so the question is, what kind of person are you going to be in your faith, in your walk with Christ? There's one uh, main reason why I think dealing with doubt, and I think doing it in the confines of the church and the body of Christ is so important, and it's this. I think when you deal with doubt, it produces depth. When you deal with doubt, it produces spiritual depth. Go to my next slide here. Here's another quote. Uh, by a guy named Francis Bacon, whose name makes me hungry. Um, he says this, If a man begins with certainty, he will end in doubts. But if he begins with doubts, he will end in certainty. What he's saying is that if you approach the Christian faith and just say, if you're just like, la, 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 I don't want to hear any questions. I don't want to hear any doubts. I don't want to hear any arguments against the Christian faith. I'm just going to tune those things out completely. So if you start things off just saying, I'm just going to be totally certain about this, then at some point doubts are going to creep in and your faith's going to implode. But if you allow some doubt, if you allow some questioning, then you're more likely to have a stronger, more sure faith. And I think your roots will go deeper as a Christian into the soil because you've allowed some questioning. I'm not saying you should encourage that and just that's all you do, but I'm saying there needs to be some honesty there. I'll give you an example of what I'm, what I'm talking about here when it comes to uh, this kind of questioning. Um, in the early days of my relationship to my wife, Courtney, before we got married, this is like very early stages, like she and I dated for four and a half months, and then um, at some point uh, she wised up and she broke up with me, right? And so this happened uh, about November of that year that we, we met, and so... Um, 
she ends the relationship, and I just am kind of floored, like, what in the world? What is going on here? And I really thought she was the one. And of course, she ended up being the one, which is great. But I was just floored at why this happened. And she had some questions. She had some doubts that she had to kind of sort through. And so for four months, we're just apart, no contact. I mean, she's one of those, like, mean breaker uppers, right? Where she just, like, I'm calling her. She's like, I don't want to talk to you. Why are you calling me? And I'm like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> you tell her I said that. She's one of those mean breaker uppers, right? So, um, so we just totally broke up for four months, no contact whatsoever. And, but at some point, we got back together. I, I pursued her again, and she finally was like, she saw the error of her ways, you know. So um, we get back together, and, and, of course, the rest is history. But there was that season of doubt and questioning that she and I both had. Because after a while, even I thought, okay, well, if she doesn't want this, and obviously I don't want this either, so I can't force things, right? And uh, so we go through this season of doubt, but here's what I would say. I would say that season of doubt in our relationship led to a depth that we would not have had we not gone through that season of doubt. Now, I'm not saying to you today, break up with Jesus. I'm not saying that today. I'm not saying like, yeah, go try out the world. Go, go do your thing and just forget about Christ for it. Just to make sure. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that you've got to allow for you to be honest about your doubt. Because I think when, when you do, it produces some spiritual depth. And so um, I want to give you a couple of uh, just one, one do and one don't about uh, when it comes to doubt. Then we'll have some more discussion here at the very end. The first do when it comes to doubt is this, be preventative. Be preventative. What I mean by that is, um, is you've got to expose yourself to what God has said in his word over and over and over again. So our wise friend Oz here, he says one more thing. He says, the largest part of doubting comes simply from, from ignorance of what God has said and done. If you think about doubt, here's how it works. Most of the time, it creeps in, right? Most of the time, it's not like you just wake up one day and just go, you know what? I don't believe anymore. I'm done with that. While yesterday, you were like sharing the gospel at work. That's not how it happens. It tends to creep in. It tends to happen slowly, just a slope that you just sort of descend down to, right? It goes very slowly. And so what happens is over time, you stop praying, you stop exposing yourself to God's word, and the creep begins. The creeping begins, right? And so, um, and so what happens is when you don't expose yourself to God's Word and you don't saturate your life in prayer and Scripture, this is what, what happens to you in your faith. You don't stay healthy. Think about this. You don't stay healthy as a person physically by just fighting sickness all the time, right? Like you don't stay healthy just by taking a bunch of medicine all the time. You stay healthy by what? exercise, right? That's how you stay healthy for the most part. The same is true of doubt. You don't, you don't like keep doubt at bay by thinking about doubt all the time and wondering like, how can I fend off the demons of doubt, right? How can I take care of doubt? You, you stay healthy spiritually by staying saturated in his word, saturate your life with prayer. That's how it happens for you. This is how it happens for you. I'll give you one, um, one point about, uh, 
uh, one don't when it comes to doubt, and it's this. Don't use doubt to justify sin. Don't use doubt to justify sin. In other words, how often, I hear this a lot actually, when um, I'll hear about a student and someone will say to me, hey, do you know that so-and-so is really questioning and doubting their faith? And I'll say, okay, I want to talk to them. And I'll say, well, have you asked them like, what, their, what their thoughts are? And they're like, well, they're just kind of questioning the validity of, of the Christian faith and, you know, is this thing really real? But almost always when I hear that kind of statement, I soon after that will hear, yeah, that guy is sleeping with his girlfriend or that girl is doing this or that guy is doing this. And what happens is you start to realize, no, what this is really about is not doubting. This is about a justification for rebellion against God, right? That's what's really going on here. And they're just using doubt as a smokescreen. They're just using doubt as a way to say, yeah, I've got all these intellectual questions about God, and meanwhile, they're sleeping with their girlfriend, right? (laughs) That's what happens. And so don't use doubt as a way to justify sin, because here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're having some serious doubts, let's talk about those. But if you're wanting to rebel against God, let's be honest about it. Let's deal with that. Let's just be honest about where you're at and talk about that, not some smokescreen facade you've created that's not even real, right? That you're calling intellectual doubt and and saying you're doubting God in the process. There's a story from Mark chapter 9, I'll just say this quickly, that I think is, is, is profound when it comes to how we handle doubt. And it's this, in Mark chapter 9, there's this boy with an evil spirit. He's possessed by an evil spirit, and the father brings his son to the disciples to heal him because Christ is not with the disciples at this point in the story, and the disciples can't heal him. And then Jesus shows up, and when the spirit sees Jesus, it makes the boy shake and convulse on the ground and foam with the mouth. And the father, in his, in his anxiety, screams out, Jesus, if you can do anything for my son. And Jesus answers. He says, everything is possible for him who believes. And the man's response is amazing. Mark chapter 9, verse 24, he says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And what you see there is a prayer of faith. Someone who believes, he's got belief, but he also understands that in the middle of his belief, he has some doubts. And what you see is someone who acknowledges that our belief and our faith is never complete. Our belief and our faith is never finished, and you've got to have the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to fill in the gaps for you. And that is a prayer of faith right there. And that's the same prayer I encourage you to pray when you experience doubt and at times unbelief. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Go ahead and finish with your last few questions. If you have to skip over a few, that's fine for the sake of time. But go ahead and discuss your last few questions at your tables.